Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 273. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here this week to celebrate the 20th anniversary of Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen. Is celebrate the right word? It's an anniversary. It's a birthday, so to speak. I am on the struggle bus right now, by the way. For those who can't tell, I mean, how can't you? Uh, you were on the struggle bus a couple of weeks ago, but the allergies have gotten to me, and now it's my turn. But I'm trying to not let that affect my view of the film. We could have totally just played this off as you getting weepy over the teenage rom-com. I wish I would have thought of that to lead. I like teenage rom-coms if they're done well. As to whether or not this one is done well or not, we're, we're going to flesh that out as a part of this conversation. But contrary to popular belief, I had actually not seen this film prior to uh, sitting to discuss it because I was not in the target demographic whatsoever. But if I if I remember correctly, you told me that you had previously seen this film. I had. Um, I don't recall if I saw it in theaters or not. I don't think that I did. I probably caught it on like a free form or Disney channel or something like that. Uh, but definitely saw it prior to show prep for this week. Um, but this one was kind of a one and done for me because all I remember from it was that they said Sid Arthur 4,700 times. And that was my big takeaway. And it was such a turnoff in that initial viewing it wasn't one that I really wanted to go back and revisit. So I guess we will see if my opinion has changed at all. Yeah, like not for anything, but if you, if I think back on like other films that are kind of focused on a band, so to speak, like I don't think we hear Spinal Tap said as many times in Spinal Tap, <laughs> you know? I don't think they say Kiss as often in Detroit Rock City as they do Sid Arthur in Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen. But... Is that the only flaw in the screenwriting? How do we like Lindsay Lohan in this role compared to some of the others that we have previously discussed? That, on top of many other things, is what we are here to discuss today. This episode is sponsored by Fierce Fox Co., designers of handmade silkscreen shirts. Fierce Fox has a t-shirt, tank top, hoodie, or crew neck for every fandom. So whether it's the movies or theme parks, princesses or villains, the MCU or Star Wars, everyone will find something they love. The designs range from subtle quotes from our favorite films to iconic characters we can wear proudly in so many different styles such as sketchbook and concert tees. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 20% discount using the code Monoreal at checkout. Visit FierceFoxCo.com to check out all of the collections. We meet Mary Stepp, also known as Lola, a 15-year-old drama queen who is moved from New York City to Delwood, New Jersey, away from Broadway where she wishes to be an actress. Lola loves the band Sid Arthur. Did we tell you that already? Uh, especially the lead singer Stu Wolf. She meets Ella on their first day of school and bond over their love for the band. She also meets Carla Santini, the meanest girl and biggest drama queen in her school. Lola slightly struggles with being from a working class family in a wealthy town, so she starts to tell lies, like her father being dead. She uh, is set to audition for a modernized version of uh, Pygmalion, uh, and she wants to play Eliza, while Carla assumes 
that she will have the role. Lola wins the role as well as the Eye of Sam, her crush. Lola and Ella's lives are rocked when Sid Arthur announces their breakup, preparing to play their final show in New York City. Carla, whose father represents Stu Wolf, has VIP tickets to the show as well as an invite to the very exclusive after party. Lola lies and says that she has tickets too and to the after party, so she starts to scheme her way in, although Ella's sure her parents will not allow her to go to the show. Lola's father offers to take her to the show. Um, but she refuses, as it would expose her lie. When the girls go to buy the tickets, they see that the show is sold out, so they must resort to buying from scalpers. But Ella struggles with whether she can lie to her parents and attend the show. Her parents are receptive to them attending, um, as her parents are also going to be in the city for the weekend, and arrange it so that the girls can stay with them in their hotel room after the concert. Desperate for an outfit to wear to impress Stu Wolf, Lola convinces Stam, uh, Sam to steal the Eliza dress from their play's wardrobe department to wear for the weekend. Ella gives Lola their money for safekeeping, and they head into the city. When they find a scalper, Lola realizes that she left the money in her makeup bag on the train. They try to sneak into the concert, but fail. As they try to find the after party, the girls get caught in the rain, and Lola learns her mother sent her father to follow them. A drunken stew gets thrown out of the after party, so the uh, girls follow him to help get him sobered up and into the party to show Carla up. When Stu gets the girls picked up by the police, Ella learns that Lola lied about her father and is infuriated with her for this very, very large lie. Lola comes clean to her father and the police about the night's events, so they are let go and Stu invites them back to his party. Stu gives them dry clothes to wear and sends theirs out to be cleaned. The girls make amends and Carla is shocked to see them at the party. Lola is disappointed when Stu gets drunk again and admits to needing booze to write all of his songs. Carla convinces everyone at school that Lola and Ella were not at the party, upsetting Lola, who decides to bail on the play. Ella convinces her to take the stage, and at the cast after party at Carla's house, Stu Wolf shows up to return Lola's necklace that she had left after uh, at the after party, proving to everyone that she was in fact there and that Carla lied. Stu tells Lola that he is in recovery thanks to her and offers to keep in touch. They dance before Lola dances and kisses Sam. Wow. That was uh, a more in-depth plot than I thought we were going to do for this movie. It has to be, though. Like Honestly, like, for, for a very hollow plot, as, you know, for a finished product, the movie's very hollow. It's thin. But... It ha- but at the same time, it has a lot of very important details that I feel like they didn't focus on in the right moments, and I think that's the biggest problem. Just like off the rip, I think that that's getting this out of the way, it's the biggest problem. It's cause and consequence. That's where you do need the details to come in. Um, I think it is worth noting this was adapted from a book. Um, much like Confessions of a Shopaholic last week, this was... Another one, um, clearly they had a certain demographic in mind. They knew they were going to do this adaptation, but originally 
they were using this as a vehicle for Hillary Duff. Now, why am I bringing up casting so early? I think that that's important to hit on here because this is coming off of the success of Freaky Freaky Friday. Lindsay Lohan was very hot by this point. She was very popular. Um, so I can sort of see where Disney may have shifted the focus to her. Um, but the other reason that I'm bringing it up is because we have seen Lindsay Lohan nail the British accent in Parent Trap. But it is so bad in this opening sequence, this fantasy that she's playing out in her head where her family leaves New York, but they leave her on her own so she gets to stay in her beloved Manhattan. Um, I'm wondering, though, was it actually a brilliant acting choice on her part because Lola's acting chops aren't developed yet? So I'm glad that you bring this up because through two viewings of this movie and this kind of like I, I extend this over, over the course of the entire film at times, I don't know if things are bad because they're just not well executed or if they are ironically bad because it's being stylized as being overly dramatic. Exactly. Because, we are hearing this story from the perspective of a 15-year-old teenage drama queen, right? These are the confessions of a teenage drama queen. And I don't know. I still cannot sit here. Maybe by uh, maybe by the end of the conversation, I'll land on something. But I don't know if it's a bad movie or a brilliant movie. And it starts with that because that was the first thing that stood out to me was how is she so unconvincing this time when she did it for an entire film only At age a few years, 11 only a few years prior yeah yeah um that i i think that is going to be a question that we're going to bring up quite a few times is this bad or is it brilliant um because to your point yes it is putting us in her pov for sure so i think that that's where things are over dramatized um and I think that there is a clear-cut answer, at least for Lola's character. But there are a lot of other things that I bump on uh, as far as the screenwriting and some of the other characters. Um, what I do love off the rip about Lola, too, you know, they're driving out of the city to start their move. And she says, goodbye, childhood home. Goodbye, intellectual and spiritual stimulation. Goodbye, Broadway. And I don't think that I have related to a Disney character more since Meet the Robinsons in the Caffeine Patch. I Here's the thing. You found a personal connection with that because we moved from New York to Central Florida. She's moving from Manhattan to the suburbs of New Jersey. Bingo. That's where the movie collapses out of the gate i understand where they needed to keep them close enough where getting to the concert for two kids two teenagers is plausible that are old enough to maybe have a night out but they don't drive yet so that all checks out but they move to the suburbs and they're acting like it's another planet even once they get to jersey the kids in New Jersey are like, oh, Manhattan, like they're they're terrified of it. Yeah. I mean, by 
not 15, but I mean, by 16, I was going into Manhattan, not by myself, but like with friends, we were allowed to take the train. Like once, once my parents knew that I wasn't going to get lost and I could find my way back, I was allowed to go. I mean, of course, you know, there's dangers in every city, but the way that they're making it sound, it, it, it's like the Wild West out there. Well, that's, I mean, that's what Manhattan is now, but not not at the time that this movie came out. But um, it, my problem, the big problem with that is um, that uh, it's, it's the Megan Fox character, right? Her father represents Clara, uh, Carla, Carla, Carla Santini. Her father represents Stu Wolf. She goes to these exclusive VIP parties. Bingo. Like she has her nose up at Manhattan. Meanwhile, you would think that it would almost be a jealousy thing because Lola had what she always wanted. And I f it just doesn't make sense that she's high class, high brow and can't wait to go to the VIP after party exclusive in the city at Stu Wolf's place. But then at the same time, talks about you know, uh, Manhattan, a place that's within an arm's reach as if she came from, you know, Boise, Idaho. Not that there's anything wrong with Boise, Idaho, but you get what I'm saying. I can see where for somebody like Ella, who has been very sheltered her whole life, it's like the big bad city and she doesn't want to yes. go there and she's happy being at arm's length. But yes, to your point, for somebody like Carla... You would think, especially coming from money, you would think that she couldn't wait to be, you know, like the Manhattan socialite. The other thing is that, and I mean, maybe this is just from us knowing the tri-state area. They are literally, as you said, in the suburbs. I have to imagine they're in like Bergen County, New Jersey, in North Jersey, where it's like 40 minutes outside of the city. Because if her dad's a lawyer, you have to imagine that he's commuting. Right. So, again, it all checks out for that quick train ride. It just really doesn't make sense for these kids to have a view of New York City like their parents have never taken them there. When that, like, you never went on a school trip, you've never gone to see a Broadway play, I don't believe any of that. No. I also don't believe that when her mother hired a moving team to move all of their possessions, that they would just decide to strap the big orange <laughs> snick couch onto the top of their four-door sedan. Again, this is where the movie is overly dramatic. Not through Lola's POV, though. Yeah. We get it. They're moving. We don't need to see something strapped to the roof. We know that they're moving because you just told us they are. You didn't have to make it more believable. Um, all right, let's let's get into this, though, now that she has the first day of school and she does have an interesting uh, first impression on certain people, specifically Ella. Um, what I like about this, I don't... I This was before Mean Girls, I believe. It was. Okay, so... Definitely a precursor because this reminds me her first day is exactly like how it's set up with Regina George and Mean Girls. So, like, I'm I'm glad that she kind of latched on to Ella because as soon as you see Carla and what Carla represents and everything that Lola wants to represent. Remember, she, that's not even her name, but she gave herself that name, right? 
you would think that she would want to link up with her and avoid being friendly with someone like Ella. But I like that they kind of thought outside of the box, and I thought that it was smart to use Sid Arthur as a means of bonding the two of them together. I would agree, but I don't think it's that far outside of the box because we see this in Harry Potter, both the book and the film, where Harry gravitates towards Ron because he knows that he's, you know, he's going to be, you can just tell. They click with each other right away. And then when Malfoy enters the picture and he's like, oh, you know, I come from this long, prestigious line of wizards, um he kind of takes the dig at Ron and, and he tells Harry, like, you, you know, you're you're going to want to watch out who you hang out with. And Harry fires back with, I can tell who the wrong the wrong kinds of people are for myself. Thanks or whatever. It, it's a great it's written a lot better than I'm saying it right now. But point is, we have seen it before. Uh, the only thing that I bump on here, I, I like that she immediately gravitates towards Ella. And then we see Sam looking over at them when they're having lunch. And Ella calls Sam over, but we never really learn how they know each other. And at first I was like, oh, is this like a crush on the brother trope? Is Sam her brother? Um, but I don't believe that he is because we do get a few scenes in Ella's home where we don't see him around. And if it's not her brother, it doesn't really jive with Ella's character because she seems kind of closed off like like she's kind of antisocial but by design that's how she wants it she doesn't want to be part of a clique she's happy to do her own thing let's talk about characters that needed better introductions for somebody that is so judgy i find it impossible to believe that ella's mother is going to be popping frozen food in the microwave and the fact that she judges uh, Lola's mom because they don't own a microwave because her mother doesn't believe in microwaves for someone that is so highbrow with such refined taste I find it interesting that of all the things that you're going to have a problem with that is one of those things I feel like both of the mothers are just so poorly written Aside from the fact that they don't have a lot of lines, like they are literally plot devices and and very much a trope of the mothers who are sort of out of touch with their teenagers, but they still have to be the disciplinarians and, and aren't really, you know... Th- they are devices purely there for the sake of conflict. The girls want to go to a concert. There's an obstacle standing in their way. And they didn't bother to write for these characters or flesh them out in any way, which is a big miss, especially when it comes to Lola's mom being a single mother and being an artist. And, and, you know, they, they do dip their toe in the water with how she's fitting in in this town and how she's being judged by other parents like Ella's mother. That could have actually been really interesting. Um, and instead, you know, again, it it's just a very thin plot. They don't mess with it at all. But to your point, yeah, I I don't buy either that this woman is using a microwave or in the house that they're in that she would even know how to turn her microwave on, you know, like you would think that she'd have, you know, 
the butler or the chef cooking them meals because they're in, you know, they're in the wealthy part of town. Yeah. The other big miss is that Lola reveals to Ella why her father is not in the picture. And she basically invents this whole story of how he was killed in a motorcycle accident. And Ella says to her, wait, I thought you said that you were a love child, meaning that like her parents were never married. They just conceived Lola. When did Lola ever say that? She never did. She didn't, right? We don't ever see that on screen. No. And I went back and I watched the beginning of this because I was like, maybe I was taking a note and, and I totally missed something. After I was done taking my notes, I went back and I rewatched the first 10 minutes and I was like, I don't think that they ever say that. And if she is a love child and they want to use that as a means of judging her and her mother for having this promiscuous lifestyle and walking around in overalls with chopsticks in her hair and all that. You can't give them a whole family. The fact that she has siblings Siblings, makes no sense. Because we never find out. Were the parents never married or are they divorced? This is another thing that never gets resolved. So we can only go off based on what we've heard, which is that she's a love child. And then it sounds like she sort of made up a story to like, fix the boo-boo exactly but why though that's the other thing we might get into this a little bit later but we never really find out what her relationship is with her father because at first you're setting it up that it's bad and that's why she's killing him off you know like i'm thinking maybe dad cheated on mom that's why they're moving away or whatever and the siblings are too young to understand what's going on but lola is at that prime age of teen angst and lashing out at her dad over a broken family perhaps that's why she wants to be so involved um in theater and and use that as an escape we get none of that and even before we get to see what her relationship with her father is during the night out in the city we see phone calls to the house we see him offer to take her to the concert so Clearly, they don't have an estranged relationship, so we need more of an explanation as to why things are still kind of okay. Because otherwise, like, why would they have moved? Why are they separated? I also think that we needed to not have her father call and offer to take her to the concert on the heels of this lie. Like, we know that there's no way that this story is accurate, that he hit a pizza truck and that he was thrown over multiple blocks of Manhattan. We know that this is clearly a made-up story, but to not give it any breathing room, to not have that oh moment, we should only learn that her father's alive when he's trailing them in Manhattan. Exactly. I don't think that... Because I think it would have built for better drama because now they're in the middle of their night out. They're in enough trouble as it is. And now she's about to have her lie exposed to really the only friend that she has. I think showing us way too early on that he was alive was a mistake. And to your point, the fact that obviously the parents are not together, but they don't seem to have a bad relationship. And he does not seem to have a bad relationship with his children. He's not 
you know, uh, he he's not some musician that's, you know, uh, traveling all the time and meeting different women. You know, I, I could almost see that being something, you know, um, but that's not the case. The, the, he seems like a nice guy whose I, marriage or whatever relationship just didn't work out. Right. And that is why it's so confusing that in those brief couple of minutes, Ella's saying, but wait, I thought you were a love child. And then she makes up the story that he's that he's got. We as the audience don't know that you're lying yet. And that's why it's so confusing. Either way, it doesn't matter what the lie is. We just don't know. And then because we do get that phone call with the dad, Lola sort of becomes an unreliable narrator, which could have been really interesting, but they don't utilize the other characters enough to have us shift into their point of view and really start to question Lola. I think one of the biggest misses in terms of a character in this film is Miss Bagoli. When Lola has her first day at school, she's in Bagoli's class. She wants to go out for the role as Eliza. And Miss Bagoli, you know, she's almost like Miss Darbus, Darvish, Darbish, whatever. I, it, depending on who says the line in High School Musical, there's four different ways that you can... Uh, and, you know, figure out how her name is pronounced. Um, she very much has that theater is my life. I love the theater. I love my craft. I take this very seriously. She kind of has that uh, sort of attitude. Her That's her approach. That's her motivation for getting up and going to work every day. I thought that she was going to become Lola's ally. Right. And she doesn't ever at any point and i thought that that was a big miss because i thought that they were building to that here and it completely goes off the rails a few minutes later especially because even though miss bagoli is a teacher I don't believe this is a class. It's the school play, right? So it's an extracurricular activity. That's usually where you do get like those, the, the strongest mentor type of bonds where you're not reporting to somebody as just your teacher or if you're not in their class. You know, I had uh, teachers that I wasn't in any of their classes, but they ran the extracurricular programs and that's how I got to know them. So they were more it was more of a friendly kind of a relationship. So exactly, you would think that she would be an ally. What I do have to say is very refreshing, though, is that it wasn't Lola to be the one pushing to modernize Pygmalion. And she respects the original as a piece of art, and she wants to keep it true to the source material. Um, I thought that that was very different, and that's sort of what really does separate Lola's character apart from other archetypes like Lola um but what gets confusing is that we see Carla mention that this was her idea and the way that the lines are delivered I really can't tell if Carla was trying to take credit as if this was her idea all along or if it really was Miss Bagoli's idea 
I don't think that Miss Bagoli would pass off a student's idea as her own. It's just not convincing enough that Carla, because I think we hear Carla say it first. She does. In the locker room. After gym class. Right. And then we, yeah, then we get the reveal that that's how they're doing it. But it just, it just doesn't make sense. It would make sense if, like, the Santinis had something on Miss Bagoli. Like, if they were the ones that were, like, donating the money for props and for costumes, and they had to make sure that Carla got her way. And got to be the star of the play. And, yeah, if they were manipulating the whole thing, sure. But you never get the feeling that Carla has any sort of pull over Bagoli. Who, by the way, I've been I've been biting my tongue because I keep wanting to call her Spicoli. Uh, <laughs> I know, she, especially because the way Lindsay Lohan says it, she's like Miss Spicoli. Yeah, let's party. Um, <laughs> like there are moments where I believe that Miss Spicoli is intimidated by Carla, and I wish they would have just fleshed out why. Is it just because she's a pushover and she's afraid of the mean girl? Is there something at stake here for her? They never commit one way or the other. And that's why I'm not sure if Carla's lying or if Bagoli did take the idea. Well, they do sort of build up Carla's reputation where Ella's saying like, oh, when when she was a kid, she would bite the heads off of Barbie dolls and she put some other student, I think another student was like institutionalized or something because of her. So they are trying to build up that reputation. But I think what is just so confusing here is that we don't see Carla overhearing that this is the idea for the adaptation of Pygmalion and then taking credit for it. We hear her pitch this idea and then we see Miss Bagoli confirm the idea. And there's not enough conviction in either of their delivery where I know who is telling the truth. Yeah. And that's a problem. Let's talk about the audition itself. Lola was so excited because she thought that she missed her chance to audition. And then Miss Bagoli says, nope, they're tomorrow. So how is she not prepared for it? I, I totally buy this notion of like, I don't want to give a subpar audition because I'm going to be famous one day and somebody's going to see this and somebody's going to know about it. I mean, like we all we all had that person in drama class, right? Or drama club. Yeah. Where everything that they did was just so calculated because they thought they were going to be famous and they like every move that they made they thought was going to be dissected later on. Like somebody was, th- this was in an age, you know, we were in high school before everybody had a video camera in their pocket. Right. But that's how, at least in my experience, that's how some of our drama kids acted was that whatever they were doing now was going to be exposed on like entertainment tonight later on. And it was always the kids with the least amount of talent. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think that that was an insecurity thing. And I think that maybe you could have even played up on that with some of these characters and made them a little less hollow. At least you could have, like, put some helium in them. That way they weren't just a bag of hot air. There was at least something in there that was contributing to their physical makeup and their function in society. 
but that's not where they went with it whatsoever. Right. And it's not like that's something we see play out either. That could have been a quick montage of all of the other people's auditions. We should have at least seen Carla audition so that when they're going to check the cast posting, you know, we've built to this drama. We know that they're going to be competitive, obviously, but it would have been nice to see the build. Instead, what we get is this moment where we as the audience are all supposed to fall in love with Lola during her singing this, what starts off as an acapella solo. And then you get Miss Bagoli joining in on the piano and then the full band with drums behind them, even though there's nobody there, in fact, playing the drums. But anyway, I digress. Um, Lindsay Lohan is a decent singer, but not enough where she makes a song that is extremely repetitive very engaging. I think what they were going for here is that moment in A Walk to Remember where we see Mandy Moore singing a solo and her voice is just stunning and she looks so pretty and the way that the camera is moving in circles around her, it's just a really beautifully shot and beautifully executed scene by all parties involved. And I think that that's what they were going for here and it just falls so flat. So now we've seen Lola lie. She's not very impressive where, you know, she's sitting here going, this is my chosen profession. And you don't give us a reason to really believe that you're going to succeed at it. It is very hard to root for her moving forward from here. I would agree. And I think that that's a waste of talent because we've seen Lindsay Lohan sing before. And to your point, she's decent, you know? I mean, I, I think comparing that to A Walk to Remember, which I've never seen, but, you know, you're you're taking a Swiss Army knife of an actress in Lindsay Lohan, who, you know, who, I said it the last time we discussed her, like, it, it's so sad, the path that her parents put her on, because mm-hmm. I do believe that they played a big hand in that. Oh, for sure. Um, it... She was a Swiss Army knife with so much talent. She was a jack of all trades and a master of none, but a very, very talented, a talented actress. But Mandy Moore is a recording artist. Yeah, that transitioned into acting and found great success in it. But she's a recording artist first. So if you're trying to take somebody that can sing fairly well versus Mandy Moore. You're you're barking up the wrong tree. You're it's it's an unfair disadvantage that you're putting on, say, a Lindsay Lohan. Like you could have done it with Miley Cyrus. Yes. Because she was a recording artist first, child actress second. Uh in, in this case. Well, Hannah Montana, I feel like, was kind of one and the same. Yeah, but coming from the Cyrus family, I mean, you have to imagine she was singing before she was acting. Fair. But uh, I would agree. I think it's the song choice here because Lindsay Lohan can sing that pop rock. She was great in Freaky Friday. Yeah. Um, but I think this is just too Broadway for her range. And she's sort of suffering because of it. She's not flailing, but it just doesn't do anything for the character. I would agree. I think what this does do well, though... Um, a credit to both both actresses, uh, Lindsay Lohan and Megan Fox. Um, I buy the tension between the two of them. It's palpable. To and the point where 
I mean, I have no evidence of this, but there's a part of me that wonders if they even like got along on set. That's how convincing they are. Mm. I would I would believe that these were two actresses that just didn't like each other. I'm not saying that that's the case, but I thought that they were that convincing. I, I wouldn't be shocked if that was the case. Um, but I would agree, especially in this next scene where they're running through the school to go and see who got the part of Eliza. Um, I was very, imp- I mean, like we've seen Lindsay Lohan do physical comedy, but I was very surprised that Megan Fox got down off her high horse. Although this was like an early role for her uh, where she's running into doors and you know, that one where, where they face plant into yeah. the closed door. I was like, wow, they actually went for it. Um, so I, I, like the scene, I like how Carla tries to recover at the end by insisting that she got the part that she wanted. And then Lola just totally shuts her down with, well, good, because that's the one you got. Uh, the only thing that I bump on in this scene is that, yes, we have Ella running through the halls with them, supporting Lola once she gets the part. Where did Sam come from and why is he hugging them? Yeah, he just materialized. It's it's not even like, um, you know what actually would have been really effective? If during her audition, once Miss Bagoli joins in on the piano, if Sam was backing her up with another instrument. We see them cut to him. He is in the audience rooting for her. But if if they had sort of established Ella and Sam as the tag team that's going to push Lola through then I would buy it. But again, we never know what your relationship is and why you're friends with Ella in the first place. And when did you become like the three musketeers here? I know it's like his character can be summed up using the line from Rescue Rangers. And Dale, you were also here. That's kind of what Sam is. It's not like in um, like Princess Diaries where, well, that is a sibling relationship. But um, Heather Matazaro's character, whose name I can't even think of right now, uh, shut up and listen. It was her brother fixing Anne Hathaway's car, Mia's yeah. car. And that's where you get the idea that all of them hang out together. All of them are friends. All of them are this little clique. And Sam has done Absolutely zero to prove any of that. He works on cars, but not Lola's car. Right. It's all a means to having him steal the outfit, right? Like, that's exactly. that they build this moment where the tensions are rising as Miss Bagoli is in the wardrobe as Sam is trying to hide and steal the Elijah, uh, Eliza dress because apparently that's the only thing that Lola thinks she can wear to impress Stu Wolf. I'm going to put a pin in that for a second because we cannot skip the epic Dance Dance Revolution scene. This was, I mean, this game, if you think back to the time period, 20 years ago, it's 2004, this game was everywhere. It was in every arcade. It was so big. They started selling it. I had the, the pad, like not just the, like the, um, like the foamy one. Right. I had the metal one. I was so into it. I love DDR. Um, and I just love this. Scene. Like this is where, if there's one takeaway from this film, it is the time capsule. That is this scene. Everything from the game to their outfits 
to the choreography, it is just so on point with 2004. You've got Megan Fox in the knockoff Juicy Couture matching suit. Uh, and then Lindsay Lohan's outfit, I just love. The the Knicks jersey that she's altered, I totally buy. Lola would have done that, by the way. The backwards hat. And, like, this is where... Yeah, the Lin- low-rise dr- jeans, oh. like... That outfit, it is just, it's incredible. But this is where Lindsay really shines because her dancing here for what it is, this game, you just stomp on it, but they're going like with the arm choreography and everything. She is so good in this scene. And I can't even imagine how many takes they must have had to do where they're still able to deliver the dialogue without getting breathless. It's very impressive. Uh, So I didn't want to skip over that. But back to... Stealing the costume. Um, First of all, there is way too much emphasis being placed on even being allowed to go to this concert before they even know if they have tickets or not. Right. They they are just putting the cart before the horse. And, you know, we still don't even know if we have tickets, but we're going to steal Eliza's costume, you know, And, and that's where it's kind of like, again, Lola is such an unreliable narrator because she loves theater so much and yet she's not respecting it because anything could happen to this. Co- like there is a bigger risk of some the, the costume ripping or something happening to that more than there is everything your parents are afraid of about this night out. And frankly, that's what I thought was going to happen. When for you, sure. When you see, without jumping too far ahead, I but I just want to mention it because we're on the topic of this costume. As the whole night starts to fall apart, you're waiting for the dress to rip, to get shredded, and for everything to come collapsing down. You know, like, this This is the car in Ferris Bueller. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. this is the thing. You're using the thing that you shouldn't be using. You're touching the thing you shouldn't be touching. This is the Babe Ruth baseball in the sandlot. You're waiting for that moment. And not only does it not happen, but it's dry cleaned only and sent back to where it belongs. Yeah, that dress should have been ripped to shreds by the end of this film. And then Lola could have saved the day with one of her own, you know, eclectic outfits that would have worked. Um, But the other thing that I bump on about this scene is that, you know, obviously we're going for the snatch and grab element here of Miss Bagoli catching Sam in the act. She says that she needs to go back to the office for something because she's like hyperventilating with Lola, you know, missing a couple of steps because she's distracted knowing what Sam is doing for her. Um, I can only assume that Miss Bagoli is in fact an alcoholic and that's what she was going back for because we never see the thing that she needs from, from the room. I thought for sure that was going to be the big reveal. Me too. That she had a flask or a bottle or something. Even paper bag would have been fine. But we never get the delivery of why she had to go back. So it is purely for the sake of creating tension while Sam is stealing the outfit. And there's no payoff for it. Not at all. Uh, Let me tell you what does pay off for me. Um, When they eventually have the conversation with both sets of parents, so to speak. uh, Lola's father obviously is not there. But um, Ella's parents get together with... um, Lola and her mother and Lola's mom has to take the chopsticks out of her hair and has to do her hair nice and wear something nice to go to the house. Um, 
that moment where they ask Ella, do you want to go to this concert? And Ella's like, I really do. And they were like, well, why didn't you just ask? It is such a good, for her father, it's Ugh. such a good moment. Yeah. That he's like, well, why didn't you just ask? We would have just let you do it. And she says, I didn't know, know I, that I could. could. That's the whole character. Yes. That never steps a toe out of line. Yeah, because they, they do get into it in the beginning where Carla's laundry listing everything that she doesn't like about Ella. And she's like, she dresses like a politician. You know, she's a teenager and, and she's wearing pantsuits and all that kind of stuff. So, like, we clearly get that about Ella. But I, I just love, like, the breakdown here for her. And I wish that they would have played with that a little yep. bit more. Bingo. Maybe, maybe you throw a little weight into her mother's character. Maybe it's her mother that has her under the thumb. Maybe her mother doesn't want her going into rock and roll concerts in the city. Maybe her mother doesn't want her to wear, you know, expensive shoes and low-rise jeans and tank tops. Maybe her mother does There is so much opportunity to have her mother be manipulative and you could have really played off of the whole i don't approve of lola and her mother and their lifestyle yes where you could have made her so stepford and it's a missed opportunity because they never commit to it that would have been great juxtaposed against lola's relationship with her mother even though her mother is you know, sort of playing by the rules of you need an adult in the city with you to take you to the concert. Like, I kind of wish her mother would have been a little bit more loose in this instance of, well, you're from Manhattan, you know your way around, you can go, no problem. Th that that would have been better conflict. And you could have eliminated the whole conversation with the dad calling and offering to take her at that point. And the whole conflict could have been, you know, one mother supporting it while the other doesn't and, you know, played with the mother-daughter relationships a lot more. It would have been a, very, a much more interesting, not even more interesting, there is no subplot to give Ella a subplot. Right. And instead, they, th her mother at least, has like a flip of a switch and now she approves of everything and she likes Lola now and she likes Lola's mom like it, it it all happens way too quick um we knew she was gonna lose this money the minute Ella gave her the money and she put it in her makeup bag absolutely you knew this was going to happen and they pay off on it because this whole time you as the audience having seen movies like this in the past assume that they are going to find a way to sneak into the show, scheme their way into the show, make the right impression on somebody that'll get them into the show. Mm -hmm. None of the above. So where I do give the film credit is they kind of take the genre, they take the expected, and they turn it on its head. Nobody ever saw them not getting into the show, and as the night wore on, things getting worse and worse and worse for them. And I feel like there was such an opportunity here to play it for comedy. Like, super bad. Superbad does it so well when the best laid plans fall to crap and things just get worse and worse. And as they try to dig themselves out of the hole, they dig themselves deeper into the hole. There was an opportunity for that here as well. That would have been great to see. Instead, again, I find myself having trouble rooting for them 
because they love this band so much they don't even care that they miss their only chance to see them this is the farewell concert right we know you've never seen them before because you had a hang-up about even asking your parents to go to this concert so this is your last chance to me and i don't know maybe i'm just looking at this differently if it were my favorite band i would have been brokenhearted missing my only opportunity to see them once they break up you'll have other opportunities to meet them they're gonna do solo projects you can go and try and stalk them or whatever individually right this is the last time you're going to see them all together that should have been the emphasis and i know that part of it is you know lola buying into her own hype and lying and that's all going to fall apart but the fact that you went to all of this trouble that you had to get into the city and your biggest obstacle was, you know, the parents and, and the logistics of it, not in fact, whether or not you had the tickets, that's what the problem is, is that the band has become secondary to having this night out, being seen by certain people and the bragging rights that come along with it. So that later on, when you do finally meet your hero and she does get her moment with Stu and she realizes that he's not everything that she thought that he was and he's not the idol that she made him out to be. I don't even care that you're disappointed because it really wasn't about the band for you. So you really have no right to judge this person when you weren't really supporting his career. And with Ella, I don't think Ella really cares about being at this after party. I think she wanted to be at the concert. Yes. This all of a sudden just turns into, so are are we here for the concert and we're pivoting to the next thing? Because they give up very quickly. It almost seems like the entire reason why they even went into the city wasn't even for the concert. It was just to go to the after party so that Carla sees them there. Oh, yeah. That's exactly what I mean. I think it became that. I think it started out as a genuine thing where they wanted to go to the concert, but it very quickly dissolves into being seen at the party. And it for Lola, the, it just doesn't make sense to me because you already got the lead in the play. You've bested Carla. You you beat her at DDR. You have bested Carla every step along the way so far. So why do you even care? Um, the other thing that sort of collapses for me, um, I, I think it's hysterical when Ella thinks that they're being stalked and then Lola realizes that it is her father. But what doesn't make sense is that, and, and this is where a little bit of background about their family could have gone a long way. That dog should have been jumping all over her in recognition. Forget if this is the family dog or whether or not her dad maybe got a dog once he's living in his bachelor pad for companionship. That doesn't matter. If you've had a relationship with him, I assume that you've been to his place on Bleecker Street, which we find out later. This dog should be familiar with you. So it should have jumped all over her. And the other thing, what is going on with this shot? 
Did you notice how they're trying to have like Ella in the background over Lola's shoulder? But Lola is like way too close to the camera. It almost looks like they superimposed, like they missed something and they superimposed it after the fact. Yeah. Something here doesn't look right. It it is so off. The the eyeline is all off. The depth of field is completely off. And I I think I'm seeing some like smudging over by Lindsay Lowen's shoulder. I really think that they superimposed this shot. Why? I don't know. When you do have coverage going the other way facing the dad, it it just absolutely makes zero sense. But it's it's very poorly done. Um, I like the idea that you shouldn't meet your heroes. I like that we get a very drunken, belligerent Stu Wolf. And I buy the fact that these two are going to just like, all right, let's grab them. Let's sober them up. This is our opportunity. And I like this is where, to me, they didn't commit all the way with digging the hole deeper. Like, this is such a great opportunity. And there are parts of this that are legitimately very funny. And they're, it's all Stu Wolf makes it very funny. Yeah. If they had done another scene beyond the diner where the hole keeps getting dug deeper, to your point it would have been a lot more effective. Um, Especially because it's like, okay, he was drunk. It's not like you two at 15 got drunk with him and got in trouble because there's really not enough of a build for Ella's meltdown in jail. Ella's meltdown is just simply, I'm a perfectionist and I don't belong here and you got me in trouble. Well, Ella, you went along with this every step along the way. You didn't lie to your parents. They're but a phone call away in the city. They gave you permission to do everything. And it's it's not like they went bar hopping or clubbing with him all night. They did nothing wrong. They tried to sober him up. So now we have Ella calling Lola out. You lied to me about everything. And we still in this moment never find out why Lola really lied about her father. Right. She does say that she was trying to protect her mother's reputation because her mother was being judged for being a single parent in this town. That does not track at all. At all. We've, I mean, yes, we've seen it from Ella's mother judging her Uh, And saying, you know, how she viewed her in the grocery store. But we haven't seen enough of her mother struggling, um, you know, whether it's financially being on her own. We haven't seen her struggling to fit in. We've hardly seen her at all because she has no screen time. So this is where you really needed to flesh out why it is that Lola does have a relationship with her father, but seemingly doesn't want one, especially because he did offer to take her to the concert. And that's the other thing. In this situation, too, and maybe it's just different because you and I worked in radio and we did see, you know, events like this that were very limited edition and and that there was only a small margin of tickets that were given away and even less that you could purchase when it's, a farewell show at a small venue like this. Yeah. You use any connection that you have to get into that show. So it just didn't make any sense at all why Lola would have turned down the offer for him to take her. 
And and this is where all of that could have been brought to light. And it's just not. Instead, you get a police officer asking for Stu's autograph. This gets us to the point where everybody gets invited into the after party, including the police officer that was trying to get his autograph. Um, you do have to feel good for them that for the first time in this entire movie, doing the right thing paid off because they haven't done the right thing the entire movie. Yes, but that all gets lost in the fact that now 15-year-olds are being taken up to a rock star's bedroom to change their clothes, which, you know, when I was watching this when I was younger, that kind of went straight over my head because you're in that teenage POV where, you know, you just want to meet your hero and spend time with your favorite rock star. And it does not occur to you how entirely inappropriate that is. And they're being chaperoned by Lola's father, who does not bat an eyelash over them going upstairs to Stu's bedroom. I mean, Stu's not with them. No, he's not. But I mean, especially him saying, oh, you know, we'll we'll get you into something dry. It sounds like a line. I realize he's not with him, but being that he sort of orchestrates the whole thing, like it's entirely inappropriate. But then you do get, you know, exactly what's expected. There's the scene of them, you know, living the life. And what would you do if you got into your into your favorite star's bedroom and they're going through, you know, there's the clothes montage. And I don't know if you caught it, but Lindsay Lohan is doing the Freaky Friday choreography with the guitar here. I did notice it. Which is so funny because in Freaky Friday, I praised her for being able to emulate what she thought a 50-year-old woman trying to look like a rock star would look like. But here, she sort of makes it a little bit more contemporary, more fitting for the age, um, and it still works. Yeah. Um, the the creepiness factor, I want to talk about that later because I didn't find it as off-putting here so much as I did by the end of the movie. It but, gets worse. You're absolutely right. But we're going to put a pin in that. It doesn't take Stu long to get intoxicated again and delivers one of the best lines I've ever heard, especially coming from a rock star. It's probably the most truthful thing that's said in the entire movie when he says, life's a little foggy, a little soggy. Yeah. It's so well done. It's a great moment for the character. But how do you feel about him immediately regressing back? And that's the moment where Lola realizes that sometimes meeting your heroes can often be off-putting. Um, I mean, it's not a surprise at all that he got drunk again. To me, what was more surprising was how quickly he sobered up. Because he never really gets his coffee He's trying to order food, but has no money to pay for it. So he's had absolutely nothing to soak it up. And I don't know that they were sitting in the police station for all that long where he would have come to. So for him, it's not a surprise at all. But I do like that they wove the don't meet your heroes theme into this. I think they just could have taken it a little bit deeper being that Lola is an aspiring actress, I like how it's all set up and how it's presented because she's trying to ask him about his art. She's not trying to, you know, she's not fangirling all over him, really. She's trying to level with him. Um, 
as an artist. And this is where her delusions of grandeur about who she's going to be really does pay off because she is trying to get to the heart of it. And she is trying to find out what does make Stu tick and, you know, perhaps apply that to her life. But it sort of regresses because it becomes about a teen being disappointed in somebody that she really looks up to and not, um, not enough about, wow, I really wanted a bigger takeaway that I could apply to my own career, my own life here. Especially because she doesn't really have a present father figure, sort of. Yeah, again, a very unclear uh, relationship with her father. Even though he's in the next room. Yes, and he and Stu are now going to be pals. Because they bonded over the dog, which is apparently a famous model of some sort. Oh, I thought it was a kid's show. I couldn't tell. I thought Stu said book. Yes. At one point, it's a book. I, I guess in my head, I'm thinking like Clifford the Big, the Big Red Dog. It's a book. It's a movie. It's a book again. It, it could be anything. I guess. I guess if we had to compare it to something more modern... It, it seems like this dog is, like, of bluey fame, you know? Yeah, but uh, this far into the film, I shouldn't still be asking these kinds of questions. Right. This should have been answered a long time ago. And it could have also been so easy to just make her dad a part of the industry. I mean, I know they did that with Carla being Stu's lawyer, but, I mean, the dad could have been a manager, an agent, what have you there a venue manager it it could have been anything so we see carla carla sees them the look on her face is spectacular and then they go back to school and carla lies and convinces everybody that neither one of them were actually at this show and i think that it's a really strong moment because it shows just how much control Carla has over the situation. It shows how calculated and manipulative Carla is because she she's so convincing when she tells this lie. Um, and then it just goes to show that Miss Bagoli really is the worst because now you've got teachers that are laughing at her. Teachers that find this whole thing entertaining, having no idea that what they're hearing is in fact the lie. And it took that moment, honestly, it took that moment for Lola to understand how powerful and how hurtful a lie can be. Because even with her apology to Ella, lying about her father being dead, it seems like it's half-hearted and half-baked. Selfishly, it's not until it affects her that she sees just how awful this can be. I agree. The lie to, or, or, Trying to apologize to Ella does seem disingenuous because it two seconds later, they're going into the party. So it really seems like Lola was still trying to force Ella's hand and that the apology was just to get them to the next point. Um, I agree with you. I think that this is a good moment for Carla because it really does position her as that big bad bully. Uh, because everybody is choosing to believe this. Whether they do or not, they're not going against Carla. Even Miss Bagoli is being 
bullied, but to an extent, but then, you know, like you said, she's also scoffing at Lola. So I do like that this becomes a story of the boy who cried wolf where, because Lola does even acknowledge it in voiceover. Um, she says, this is the most elaborate story I've ever told, but this happens to be the one that's true. So you did need to get to a point where this all bites her in the butt. Um, but I think where everything sort of comes crashing down for me is if the band meant that much to Lola and Ella, who cares what Carla says? This should have been, you know the point where they had an unforgettable night and that's all that matters. And they never, that, that never comes out. Like no one ever says, we know what the truth is. We know what this night meant to us. We know that we have a relationship with Stu. So, so who cares what everyone else is saying? Instead, it still becomes about, um, Carla, you saw us, you know, we were there and not enough about I want my name cleared. I don't care that I hung out with the band. I don't care about the party. I just want the truth told that I am not actually making up this elaborate story. This is what happened. And I'm sorry that I've, you know, concocted all of these schemes up to this point, but this one is the truth. And I just want to finally come clean. And because none of that really happens, I don't feel like Lola gets her full character arc because it doesn't feel like a lesson is being learned. It just feels like, no, say you saw me with the band. Yeah, like it, it's welcome to the other side of life. I think that she needed to feel that pain. And I was waiting for that moment. And it's a little cliched, but I'm waiting for that moment of we don't need her approval we don't need them to know because we know yeah and, and it but again that's where the movie actually does do a fairly good job of taking what you expect to happen and turning it on its head i will give you that and i will give you that it is sort of cliche but like i i just needed the character arc to land because then lola sort of doubles down on everything once again where she's faking being sick because she doesn't want to go and perform in the play. And she lies to Ella again. Ella tries to come and rally her. And she's giving all of her... She starts listing her symptoms. When she's clearly not sick. And you just promised her not but five minutes ago that you were never... Well, five minutes of screen time. It was the night earlier. You promised her you were never going to lie again. At least to her. But I think that this is Ella's best scene. When she yes. has a very heartfelt uh, conversation with her here and talks about how she forced her out of her shell, her out of her comfort zone. Um, I think that it's not only one of the best acted scenes in the film, but I think it's the best character moment for any character in the entire movie. I would agree with that, especially because it delivers on the scene with her parents where she says, I didn't know I could. Yeah. This is a full arc. This is, you gained something from this night out in the city. And even though Lola has been lying this entire time, 
you did find some courage. You did stand up for yourself. And now you're standing up for yourself to the most important person because you're not letting Lola take you down again. Yes. So she rallies her. They head over to um they head over to the school. Meanwhile, in another uh, bit of horrific dialogue, um when they believe that Lola's not coming, uh Miss Bagoli tells Carla, "Get into costume." While she's already in costume, and then has her change into the costume that is not the costume being worn in the first scene. So she's got her in th- three different outfits going on four. I did not even catch that. I did. It was just so that they could put Carla in the dress. Exactly. And have Lola take it from her. Exactly. That That's the entire reason why they did that, and it makes no sense. Well, I think they needed to reveal that Stu actually did deliver on his word of having the dresses dry cleaned and getting them back where they're supposed to be. By the way, this was where their hands were also sort of forced with picking a place in Jersey that's close to the city because these dresses were dry cleaned overnight, dropped off at dad's house, and dad has now driven them out to the play, which at least he showed up for. I will give them credit for that. They, they landed the plane, putting him in the audience with the rest of his family. I think the um, the timeline is a little um, confusing because we know that Ella's parents are spending a quote-unquote long weekend in the city, but we don't know at what point in that long weekend does the concert happen. True, because they're already there to meet the girls at Grand Central. They do say that they were going out on a Thursday night, so I'll buy that this was like... Friday or Saturday? Yeah, they never say. But with that being said, um, yeah, Dad shows up. It's all well and good. Um, And then you get this modern contemporary Pygmalion performance. With some, some classic rock songs. I mean, here's the thing. I see what they were going for, and it's... It's fun, and I like the way that they did the sets, but nothing happens in this montage of the play to redeem Lola. No. Other than you get to see her star in the show. Yeah. So afterwards, we go to the cast after party at Carla's, which I find intriguing. Not that Carla would host the after party, and obviously you need to show her up when Stu arrives, but I'm not quite sure why Ella and Lola are even there. I understand it's a cast after party, so technically the entire cast gets invited. But would you even want to be there? In her own home? Um, yeah, I mean, like, I never did school plays or anything. Well, no, that's not true, because I did do band for one of them. I was in the orchestra. But, um... It was just the kind of thing like everybody went to celebrate their hard work. It didn't really matter if you liked whoever was hosting or not. It was just the kind of thing like y'all did it. But it does set up the moment for Stu to arrive at Carla's house. I love Carla in this moment once again where she is clearly dying inside but flips it 
to try and save face. And she's like, look who came here for me. And like, Stu is not having it. It's pretty great. Yeah, it's fantastic. Because at this point, I know Stu's been drunk the entire movie, but obviously he knows who Carla is. Right. He knows what she is. He knows who her father is. Right. So that moment for uh, for Lola is great where she gets her moment of truth in front of everybody. And Carla, you know, goes ass over elbow into a fountain in the middle of the living room. Like um, it's the worst thing that could ever happen. And I do like Sober Stew. And I do like I that do he did the right thing. This is the only moment that gets creepy for me, though. When he goes to put the bottle uh, necklace on her and he goes, you left this at my place. It's so cringe. Oh, my God. I know. This is the point where I was like, Lola, I would be a lot more concerned about my reputation with him saying that to me than I would be about the lies. You're 15. Yeah. Like, you could have so easily changed that line to, you forgot this at my party. And it wouldn't be creepy at all. Yeah. But you left this at my place. And then he puts it on her. I don't even care that he puts it on her. No, and especially because they handle everything else so nicely where he says, um, a really sweet person told me to, I'm paraphrasing now, get sober. But it wasn't creepy then. There, There was no romance Even though she looked up to him, there was no um, chemistry. They left it all out. They were able to deliver the line without any kind of innuendo there. Right. But then it all falls apart with, you left this at my place. But at the end, everybody ends up where they're supposed to be, I suppose, right? Well, not really, because now she's with Sam, and that's completely unmotivated. But she likes him. She used him. He liked her. She has been using him throughout this entire thing. The The only bit of um, attraction that you have between the two of them is in the first scene where the camera literally shows his rear end in his jeans from her POV, which is fine. She's a 15-year-old girl. You know, let's not pretend that 15-year-old... Anything is it looking at the other fifteen-year-old? Anything? Let's well, just call it what it is. Yeah, I, I'm totally fine with it because usually women are the ones being objectified. So you know what? Let's treat the guys like a piece of meat every once in a while. And that's fine. But my, but to your point, that's the only instance where we believe that she's actually that attracted to him. Right. That's it. Otherwise, she uses him. I mean, I guess there is a little bit of concern when he's stealing the dress and she's worried about him, but like, we don't get much more than that. Uh, we ready to talk about our cast? Yes. All right. Let's start with Lindsay Lohan. Um, we've said on this show before that, um, she is super talented. Um, uh, I I said earlier today, Swiss army knife can do everything well. Um, I just think that this character is hollow I think the character is very shallow. And until the moment where Carla lies to everybody, there's nothing that makes you want to root for this character. And in fact, because the character is so dislikable, as things started falling off the rails and talking about Superbad earlier, I wish that that is where we would have had 
more comedy because um, in Superbad, for the most part, um, not every character in that film is likable. But with every misstep, with every trip and fall, it gets funnier and funnier. So by the time you get to the end of the film and they all land where they're supposed to, you love all of them. Even though you don't through most of the movie. I feel like there was an opportunity to do that here with Lola and they totally swung and missed. I couldn't agree more. I think that Lindsay did the best she could with what she had to work with. And it's not just that the character wasn't fully fleshed out with a a really strong character arc. There were just some moments of dialogue that, you know, just didn't really do anything for her. And I think the writing really did her dirty. Speaking of, here's something I didn't think that I would have to say again. I was very harsh on the crew of Freaky Friday because there's a scene where she's in her bedroom with her shoes off and her feet were dirty and nobody should have let her get on camera like that. It happens again here. There's a scene in the bedroom where she's not wearing shoes and she gets on the bed and maybe, you know, nobody noticed when things were in standard def, but we're in high def now and her feet are filthy again. And now I'm thinking that this might be a hygiene problem. I don't want to drag this girl any more than she's already been, but somebody's got to have eyes on this when you're filming. In this case, they've been trudging through the dirt and the grime and the mud all night, but at no point are their shoes off. So I think that fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. You may be onto something there. No, because this was well before that. I think it's the scene where um, they announce that Sid Arthur is breaking up, if I remember correctly. Oh, I wasn't paying that much attention. I, I I can't like unsee it now because I've seen it twice. <laughs> like if I had a nickel for every time Lindsay Lohan's feet were dirty, I'd only have two nickels. <laughs> but it's weird that I'd have two. Yeah, um, Megan Fox plays Carla, and like, let me tell you something. I think Megan Fox is a more talented actress than most people give her credit for because I think that uh, she is so well known for having Michael Bay shoot her from the ankles all the way up, hunched over a Kawasaki motorbike that I think that it inadvertently ruined her career. While it made her a lot of money and put her front and center on a major franchise, I think it ultimately did more harm than good because when you look at a movie like this, when you look at a movie like Jennifer's Body, you could see that she, this girl actually can act very well. I couldn't agree more, and I'm really glad you brought up Jennifer's Body because that has become such a cult classic. It didn't do well upon its initial release, but people are recognizing it a lot more now that it was actually a really, really good movie. Um, but I I agree. I, I think she's great in these roles where she doesn't necessarily take herself too seriously, um, like in Jennifer's Body, but even here, you know, I, I think Transformers is different because she knows she was pretty much being objectified and and she knew that she was the eye candy in that movie. And I think that she probably just phoned it in because she didn't care and she wanted something more substantial. And here, even though she is playing the bully, it's a more substantial role and she really got into it. I thought she was great. 
Yeah, and their chemistry was awesome. Uh, Allison Pill plays Ella Gerard. As I said before, this is the only character with a full character arc. And of everybody in this film, uh, I think it's her story and, and her development that I find to be the most intriguing. Uh, I would agree. I think that she's the most fully fleshed out character. I think that um, she has some really good moments. She She's really the character that gets redeemed more than anybody else. And I mean, good for her because she went on to have an amazing career. I mean, she was in Milk and she's probably best known for Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. Um, then you have Eli Marenthal as Sam. He's fine. It's not his performance that's the problem. It's that you could have literally just picked any 15-year-old boy that had that aw shucks boy next door look and put him in the role. And I think that, unfortunately, he did the best he could with a character that's kind of just there because it was a teen movie and you needed to have a love interest. I agree. I hate to say it, but he could have been anybody. Adam Garcia plays Stu Wolf. I thought that this, for for comedy, when he's standing at the police station banging on the desk going, I want onion rings now. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the funniest moments in the film. Uh, I love Adam Garcia from Coyote Ugly. I think that's probably his most notable film, but I love seeing him here. And what I really love about it is that he was able to toe the line and play this character as a drunk without going too far into petulant, pampered rock star. You get a little bit of it, but he exercises such control. Um, you are rooting for him to get sober. By the time he does tell Lola that he's he's a couple days clean because he's only been, you know... We said it's it's been a, over a weekend, maybe a week at best. Um, you believe that he's going to do it this time because he says that he's tried it, but he's convincing enough where I buy that this is the one that's going to stick. Yeah. Carol Kane plays Miss Bagoli. I have liked Carol Kane in so many movies like Scrooged and Dog Day Afternoon. She's very, very talented. This is the most dislikable character in this movie, through no fault of her own. Yeah, they uh, definitely wasted the talent here. What I also bump on, too, is that, okay, you cast Carol Kane for her name. Great. They cast both Lola and Ella's mothers with actresses that look so much alike the three of them i really thought i was like is this supposed to be part of a joke where like lola is so out of touch with her own reality that all adults look the same to her Th they look so similar to me um but that's not the case it is three different people but i really there was a moment where i thought they were going for an artistic choice here yeah glenn headley plays karen uh lola's mother i i thought she did a fine job um, I like her more as Tess and Dick Tracy, frankly. You just needed more of her. I think that you're right. Um, same with Tom McCamus, who plays Caleb. That's uh, Lola's father. Um, I know his name is Caleb because I'm looking at the cast list now. I did not know what this man's name was other than being Lola's father. It's 
It's Caleb. Is that is that your cold? Because it sounds like you're saying Caleb. It's my cold. It's Caleb. Okay, yeah. Um, I actually thought he was pretty endearing. I thought he had just enough screen time. I love how they introduce him as the stalker and right away he like de-escalates the situation. He's like, I'll be cool, don't worry, but I'm keeping an eye on you. Uh, and he's going to be buddies with Stu. I actually think that there was just enough screen time, just not enough from Lola's end of it as to why she would not have let him take them to the concert in the first place, why she's not really taking his phone calls, why they have an estranged relationship is not really the word because he shows up for her when she needs him. And he's obviously on speaking terms with his ex whatever she is because again we don't find out if they were ever married i feel like there was an opportunity here to make him like the sympathetic father figure who is trying we never get any of that like i almost wish he would have just been a deadbeat dad like the dad in like uh angels in the outfield just like rides off on his motorcycle like i wish he would have just done something like that it's just none of the above i was gonna say Daniel Hillard is the sympathetic father trying his best. That's a Mrs. Doubtfire reference. Um, I will give this props, though. I mean, when you think about it 20 years ago, this was a very early example of not using the divorce as a cliche for parents that hate each other. And they are doing some solid co-parenting here. Yes. Uh, it's not uh, it's it's not the stereotype of bitter and then gets back together again either. Oh, God, yeah. Final thoughts on Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen. I'll go first. So we posed the question, is this bad or is this brilliant? Um, I hate to say this, but I think it's bad three ways to Sunday. The writing is just so problematic as far as the story structure goes. Um, it doesn't do a lot to redeem itself. However, with that being said, we need movies like this. And I'm not just talking about your mid-budget rom-coms that will hopefully draw, you know, women in for a girl's night out at the movies, you know, these Jennifer Lopez movies that somehow she keeps managing to do. You know, like Marry Me was the latest one. With I Owen Wilson. I, I don't know why we keep getting those. But what I am referring to is that we need something for tweens and teens to be able to go and watch. I don't want to go on too far of a tangent here, but there is or there has been a lot of discourse online lately. Have you seen this about the 10 year old girls who are going to Sephora? No. It's been a huge conversation and not even in the sense of like a 10 year old does not need to be buying retinol when their skin is not even fully developed yet. That's not the issue. The issue is that 10 year olds are going into Sephora. They don't know how to behave. So they're like basically terrorizing the stores. When you think about what 10 year olds is, forget even the fact that they've been raised by a cell phone. 10 years old means that Four years ago, when they're just getting out of kindergarten and they're supposed to be going to school, they were at home because of the pandemic. So there are a lot of older women 
who are just trying to shop and that are being bothered by these girls running amok because they don't necessarily know how to behave. And the discourse comes from that, you know, it's lazy parenting because they're not teaching them how to act in public. They're dropping them off at the store and not, you know, paying attention. And the reason that I bring this up is because they're going to Sephora because they have nowhere else to go. It's not like when we were growing up. I mean, forget the fact that kids are in front of screens now and they're not spending enough time outdoors. They don't hang out at malls anymore, really. You need they, they are on their phones all the time. You need to give them something to do. And I think that we would solve a lot of problems if we started making movies again with that demographic in mind. Right. Well, this is the state of Hollywood. They're not interested in making a movie like this. They are only interested in making movies. If you, there, there are two kinds of films that are getting made right now. Art house films and blockbusters. There's nothing in between. And that's what I'm saying. You need more movies like this that are in between. The closest thing that we've had, you did see this age group return to the movies last summer with Barbie and the Eras tour being brought to the screen. And that oh, was wonderful. Examples, though. But that's what I'm saying. They're they're blockbusters, but they did a wonderful thing by having that kind of a draw. You need something like this that's a rom-com with a bigger name that tweens are going to want to see. Well, and this is going to be my point in my final review, my final say. Is this a good movie? No. It's really not. Through no fault of any of the cast. These are hollow characters that are poorly written. However, I'm a 37-year-old man at the time of this recording watching this movie for the first time. If I was <laughs> not a... the target demo. No, I'm not. But you know who it did speak to? 14 and 15-year-old girls who wanted to see Lindsay Lohan in another Disney movie. That's who it spoke to. That's who it spoke to. And they went and they saw it in droves. That's why they're still talking about this movie. It doesn't matter that it's a stinker. They liked it. Because you wrote to the target demographic. And it didn't need to have four sequels. And it didn't need to have an attraction at Epcot. And it didn't <laughs> need to sell a ton of merchandise. You made a movie on the cheap that profited at the box office and made your target demographic happy. That's what I think Hollywood needs to go back to. Specifically, that's what I think Disney go needs to go back to. They will do the opposite. Movies like this are not going to get made anymore. There's a reason why Jennifer Lopez, on occasion, still comes out with these movies. McConaughey, he has now established himself as a very serious actor. But he had a 10-year run where he did rom-coms. Oh, yeah. And some of the best. Sarah Jessica Parker, another one. You know, like, they, they had these runs of doing these rom-coms. And yes, it springboarded them onto other things. In Sarah Jessica Parker's case, coming off of Sex in the City yep. and doing rom-coms, it but kept her there. But that was the draw. They, they had to overpay her for her name. Right. So, at the end of the day, I don't think Hollywood's going to do that. If they can't turn it into a three to seven movie franchise, 
It's over. It's over. The Fast and the Furious, the first movie was cool when I was 14 years old. These are the dumbest movies of all time. And they get worse and worse and worse. And for some reason, they keep making them. Because it's become a very successful franchise. And I think part of it is people are going to see how bad and how dumb and how off the rails they're getting. So I think that you do need more in this target demographic. I think you do need more that isn't something from Marvel, from Star Wars, from DC. You know, not not every book, not every epic adventure needs to be adapted into a, well, now we're going to do a six-part film and then a three-part prequel. That's what all of this is turning into. You just need original ideas. But we are interested in knowing what you have to say. You can join the conversation it's, uh, on social media at all major platforms at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week and a contest winner are coming up, but first, a quick break. Now that we live in Florida and spend a lot more time in Disney World, you know we love to share our park experiences with you, especially in our dockside chats. However, telling you about our personal experience during a park day while sipping on a margarita is not the same thing as getting travel advice, which is why we are so happy to be partnered with our good friend Kelly at KMV Travel. You know Kelly from our reviews of Thor Ragnarok and Rogue One, and she has recently launched her own boutique travel company providing complimentary assistance with vacation planning. If you're thinking about booking a trip to Disney, you can visit kmvtravel.com and request Jackie as your travel advisor. We promise she will help with more than where to find the best margaritas. Well, this is certainly on brand. We got a Valentine's Day gift from Disney this week. The announcement of Fantastic Four starring Pedro Pascal. Um, This is going to hit theaters on July 25th of 2025. I think the artwork is great. And I think that we knew that we were going to get Fantastic Four eventually. But... This is just lather, rinse, repeat in line with, we need original ideas, we need creativity, no more sequels, no more sequels, and then sequels, 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 more Marvel. I mean, to your point, it wasn't really a surprise, though, because this has been the big question hanging over Marvel, right? Well, there's two. When are the X-Men coming, which I think that we're, well, they're doing the animated series, but I think we're also going to get more answers for that with the um with Deadpool 3 coming out. Yes. But this was the other big question is what's happening with Fantastic 4? What's canon, what's not canon? Um I'm really surprised that they didn't have a trailer or teaser ready for Super Bowl uh and that this was the drop, but I am very intrigued by this artwork. Um it's looking like 60s a little mid-century modern so i think that it does sort of answer the question of how are they going to make it canon um and where we're going to put it in the timeline you know after cap before captain marvel um so i think that's interesting and if they do it anything like wandavision i think it's going to be crazy cool um you also didn't mention um that joseph quinn is in it um He's from Stranger Things. I didn't catch it at first. He's Chrissy Wake Up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, listen, the casting is great. We knew that we were going to get this, and I like the Fantastic Four. Um, so, like, the thing is, like, I, I'm kind of jaded. I'll be the first to admit it. Like, I should be really excited about this, but, you know, wrapping up the conversation that we just had, like, I, I wish that we were getting things that were 
different and unique and original. More things like Wish, frankly. I mean, I will always agree. I, you know, I want to see more original content. However, I think that this is original, an original idea, even though it is part of an IP. I, so far from the very little that we have of it, I like where it's going. Um, and we have the end of an era as the Disney Movie Club is shutting down, as Disney has now entered an agreement to transition the printing of their hard media to partnership with Sony. Yeah, that was some interesting and unexpected news. Um, I mean, doesn't really affect us because thankfully we didn't get rid of any of our physical media. You never should. And we never will. Exactly. For, for this exact reason. Um, so I think that's going to be interesting to see what comes of this partnership. And, you know, if there is a boost in physical media, I'm, I'm hoping that there will be, I think that's going to be really interesting to see. But if you are a part of the Disney movie club, separate from Disney movie insiders, um, the last day to order is May 20th. Accounts are closing on July 20th and the last day to return anything is going to be September 20th. Um, which tells me too that given that you're aiming for September to have this all wrapped up, they're really going to make like a big holiday push this year. I liked being a part of Disney movie club. Um, I liked when you would have that physical media delivered to you, you know, on or around the release day. You just had to remember to go into your account and make sure that you did not purchase it because it was on an auto thing. That's what made it the club. It was on an auto ship, but I mean, it was it was nice. And like every now and again, you would forget to cancel the order and you'd come home and that envelope would be sitting on the doorstep and you were like, oh, please be something I wanted. More times than not, it was. So it was worthwhile. I'm surprised that um, Disney is transitioning into this partnership with Sony, though, because like Best Buy, for example, announced, I think, a week or two ago, they are no longer carrying any form of physical media. No more CDs, no more DVDs, no Blu-rays, no 4K, no Ultra, no nothing. So interesting that Disney would enter into a partnership with physical media because so many are transitioning away from physical media. Although, as we just said, we don't think that you should. Let's transition over to parks for a few minutes. Uh, the Wine and Dine 2024 weekend uh, will be going on sale soon if you are a run Disney fan. Everybody knows that I am. Um, they announced the theme this year, Cheers to 15 Years of the Wine and Dine Half Marathon Weekend. Some very exciting characters that I think are going to lead to these races selling out very quickly. I feel like Run Disney is listening to you because you had a lot to say on the medals and the shirts for these last couple of races. Um, but in particular, last year, we were kind of harping on, like, we we found the thread of food through all of the medals, but it was a very loose thread. This is a lot more clear cut with characters being tied to food. I was very excited to see some Muppet representation here with the Swedish chef being uh, on the 5K uh, I love that. I think it's brilliant. I think it's about time. Um, you've got Tiana for the 10K with her beignets. Um, again, very timely with the opening of Tiana's Bayou Adventure. And this year, Princess and the Frog will be celebrating its 
15 year anniversary. So that's the perfect tie in. Uh, and then you've got Remy, of course, and they brought Mickey back. I love this. Mickey is the icon for the challenge medal. Um, he used to be the icon for the half marathon medal. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with it. I think that Remy for the half marathon makes a lot of sense. I'll be honest with you, as excited as I am to see the Swedish chef here, based on how I felt coming out of marathon weekend, and uh, I talk about it in depth in our Dockside chat from that month, and I'll go ahead and I'll link that in the show notes as well so you can go back and listen to it. As excited as I am, I really don't know that I'm in any rush to sign up for that 5K. I know. You know, they, that's they, the only thing. They've gotten very expensive. And if it's anything like the previous 5K, first off, it's going to be a nightmare to even register for it. But secondly, if it's anything like the other 5K was, where it was just hurting cats and I didn't feel that it was executed terribly well. I'm not so inclined to hand them a bunch of money just to get that medal. Even though I'd love to have it, I don't know that I can justify the spend on it. Because I can run the Space Coast Half Marathon on December 1st, always the Sunday after uh, Thanksgiving. So Thanksgiving's going to be late this year, actually. Um, I can run that half marathon and get a finishing beach towel plus a great medal and a great shirt and an after party with unlimited food and beer for less than it would cost to run the 5k at run Disney. And, and so that's my point. It's like as much as I want to do it because I'm very excited for it. I'm, I need to see that they're going to clean up the 5ks a little bit. That's my only hesitation with doing it. Or at least really start enforcing the runner's protocol. Yeah. Which is harder to do with the 5k. Mm -hmm. But I think if you are somebody who's going to run a 5K at Disney, you can't be swept. I think that's a great medal to earn to the point where I'm sort of, I mean, I guess they're giving Mickey the icon for the challenge because he was the previous icon and it's an anniversary year. But I'm sort of surprised that they're not making Swedish chef the icon for the challenge. Because the 5K is going to sell out in spite of it. I mean, they're all going to sell out. But the fact that Figment was a very sought-after character and a sought-after medal, and they did him representing the challenge to get people to sign up for more than one race, I'm surprised they didn't do the same thing with the Swedish chef. Yeah. But... With... Uh, well, I mean, I guess if you're encompassing 15 years, like, why wouldn't you go back to Mickey at that point? With that said, we also did get... The release of the foodie guide to the Flower and Garden Festival for this year running from February 28th to May 22nd. Yes, this is why I run through the parks. Um, some new additions? 60, I believe. There are 60 new items coming for Flower and Garden this year. And that includes beverage. Yes. Um, so... Just kind of giving it a quick once over. The Honey Bistro, we went to that last year. Mm -hmm. um, we had that chicken and waffle, and I remember it being soggy and not that great. Very hit or miss. I heard it was either soggy or I was hearing a lot of um, like chewy yeah. chicken. Uh, so we'll see. Hopefully they have a redemption arc this year. But I remember that spicy honey was very spicy. I would... 
if we were to get that again, if we were to give it another try, I would ask for it on the side um, because I thought that it was just a little too hot. But they do have uh, honey-glazed cauliflower with honey-roasted carrot puree, rice, pilaf, spring vegetables, honey-blistered grapes, and uh, sunflower brittle. That's the new item there. I think that that's going to sell very well. I think it's smart to have a plant-based item over there. And I've noticed that they have a lot more plant-based. It looks like every booth this year has at least one, if not more, items that are going to be plant-based. They've definitely been incorporating more plant-based items. But to me, like, this is this is really the festival that you do that. Like, those really nice, fresh flavors. Yeah. Pineapple promenade. The Dole Whip is plant-based. The spicy hot dog. That's kind of a favorite. Um, Florida Fresh. They really stepped up the Florida Fresh booth this year. Um, with the warm water lobster tail in key lime butter. I can imagine that that's something that you are going to be jumping all over. 1,000%. Or the Cubanito with mojo marinated pork belly, ham, Swiss cheese, pickles, and uh, stone ground mustard sauce. That's a new item. That that's All of this is just speaking to your spirit animal. <laughs> Seriously. Oh, my God. I'm going to be like a one and done. I'm going to be filled up on that booth alone. How do you feel about... Okay, so... The Swirled Showcase. So we have another Swirled. That took over the old Starbucks. I still am miffed by that whole thing that they took away a Starbucks. There's Joffrey's everywhere. Joffrey's is hand leaps and bounds better than Starbucks. I'm not saying that it's not, but I'm just surprised. Well, you have you can get Starbucks um, at the Connections Cafe now. That's why. So you don't necessarily need to in a park. I only realize that now that that's why they took it away, because they do have a secondary location. But listen to this. Liquid nitro honey mascarpone cheesecake with fresh honey, granulated honey, honey mead blueberry compote presented by the National Honey Board. That's at the Swirled Showcase, but it's not at the honey booth. Yeah. it's. It, I mean, they're across from each other, but mm, it that doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. Refreshment port. I'm not going to do this because I don't like... If I'm going to have chicken tenders, I want chicken tenders. The the plant-based chicken pen tenders on... I love them how they call them the crispy potato... Just call them tater tots. That's what they are. They're tater tots. Um, and a plant-based blue cheese crumble. This I'm interested to see how people feel about it because refreshment port has struck out the last two years at Festival of the Arts with the, um, the gnocchi poutine being mm. very, very dry. So I think they're taking a risk here. But I actually think if you're into eating plant-based, I think this is going to work out for you. Yeah, that's a calculated risk. Um, other than that, I'm trying to see if there's anything else that stands out as being um, really new and exciting. Uh, La Isla Fresca. Impossible Jamaican beef patty with a spicy papaya sauce. It's new. It's plant-based. Again, I'm not in the target demographic. Mostly because I feel like a regular Jamaican beef patty is a little too hot for me, but I'm all for this coconut trace leches cake that they yes, have. Yes, absolutely. This looks incredible. Tangerine Cafe. The golden standard. Yeah. Dessert. No, not a lot is changing there. Um, Magnolia Terrace. These are repeats from last year as well. That muffaletta sandwich, though. That you, was excellent. I would absolutely be getting that again. Yeah. I am all for, though, uh, the German... Bauer market, the farmer's market, the potato pancakes with the applesauce. Not new, but uh, 
certainly excited about that. I don't remember. Okay, so the toasted pretzel bed uh, bread with the Black Forest ham and melted cheese. I don't remember that from last year. It's not saying that it's new, so it's obviously a repeat. I have no recollection of that being there. How did you miss pretzel bread? Like, I I feel like you would have got that unless we, that was one of the things that we were like, we'll get it next time. And we just never managed to get back for the second go around. It could be. I don't know. All right. Well, we'll, we'll have to try it. But citrus blossom is back. You loved those skewers. Those tempura shrimp. But you have to get it with the sauce on the side. They put a lot of sauce on. And they kind of they also the- give you a lot of sauce on the side when you ask for it separately. But um, I think that it takes the nice crispy shrimp and it makes it soggy. But I'm actually absolutely going to be back for that. How about brunch cot? We did not spend nearly enough time at brunch cot last year. Yeah. Avocado toast with marinated tomatoes and plant based uh, cheese crumbles on toasted ciabatta. That's your plant based option. Biscuit and gravy with impossible chicken fried steak and impossible gravy uh sausage gravy again i'm not big on the impossible i might might, try that i might try that one yeah it's something about it just sounds so good um and then the fried cinnamon roll bites with the uh candied bacon and the cream cheese frosting brunch cut this year i am super excited to try this booth out same um i don't know was there anything else that really kind of stood out to you is there anything that you saw when you came across this list and you thought, oh, I got to try it. I got to get it. Uh, there were so many. Um, and now, now of course, that we're going through, I can't remember exactly what they were off top, but um, there's just a much. lot of new and exciting offerings this year. Uh, so I can't wait. This this is going to be a multiple day experience for us. Multiple day, multiple trip, lots of food. Um, we've never done the little wristlet gift card thing, but I almost feel like we might have to, might have to, but I am super excited for festival or for flower and garden festival this year, because of all of the festivals that Epcot has done, flower and garden has always kind of fallen to the bottom of my list. And it's mostly because I've always found the first few times the food has been a little less than impressive. The topiaries are great, but I feel like this is an opportunity with the food and with the concerts for them to slowly climb the ladder back up towards the top of the list. I think that's it. I think that in the past couple of years, they have really stepped up their food game. Um, But I think the other draw for us now, and it's kind of a sad thing, is that Flower and Garden always had more of like the quote unquote oldies bands. And now you're starting to see... Our bands, yeah, bands that we love, becoming the performers at Epcot Flower and Garden, where they once were food and wine, now they're Flower and Garden. But we will absolutely be there. I mean, this is, like we said, the, all the food is going to take multiple days to get through. Uh, but we know for sure we're going to see Lit uh, Memorial Day weekend. We're very, very excited about that. Very excited about that and very excited to give away a great prize uh, here on Monoreal Radio, we have a Funko Pop Asha with Star. We ran this contest on social media. Congratulations to Disney's Broke Princess. We will get your shipping information and get your prize, pa- uh, prize pack sent out to you as soon as possible. 
Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monorail Radio. Monorail Radio will always be free, but there are many ways that you can help support the show. Please give us a rating wherever you listen to your podcast. Join the conversation on social media at Monorail Radio on all major platforms. Share your favorite episodes with family and friends who may enjoy them. And of course, book your next trip with Jackie. Links to everything can be found at monorealradio.com. We all have one story. Make yours a magical one. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.